This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, yesterday's budget is all over the media and it, of course, affects everybody in the country in one way or another. It's very difficult for those of us who consider ourselves to be ordinary people to work out what has happened and who has been given what and who has not been given what. It's complex, but what we do know yesterday is that the Irish government was able to give away 11 billion or at least distribute 11 billion euros to people in this country in one form or another. And to discuss this now, we're joined by Chris Johns. Chris is a former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland in Ireland. He is now a respected commentator and has his own podcast, incidentally, called The Other Hand, which he does with another very popular contributor to The Stand, Jim Power. Chris, we'd like to talk to you about what our own budget tells you or tells us about where we are as a country and also to contrast it to what has turned out to be, it seems, a catastrophic mistake by Kwasi Kwarteng, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, and Liz Truss, the new British Prime Minister, People are still talking about it. The markets have rejected it. And Larry Summers, who was first Treasury Secretary under Barack Obama and is a very, very famous U.S. economist and commentator, described the British budget as a series of unforced errors. Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Let's talk about what the Irish government has done, Pascal Donoghue, of course, being the Minister for Finance. What do you make of what they have done with the excess money they have through corporate taxation? Mostly, they had a surplus. And our economy appears to be much different than the British economy. Yes, Eamon, the differences couldn't be starker. I spend a lot of time flitting backwards and forwards between the UK and Ireland. And having lived in Ireland for many years, um, now, as you say, I'm in the UK, uh, I've never seen the differences so stark, actually. It's partly um, numbers-based. I look at the economic numbers, and as you rightly say, the starting position for Finance Minister Donoghue couldn't be more different to the position that Kwasi Kwarteng finds himself in. Um, and there's also, I would call it a vibe thing, a feeling um, uh, that if just walking around London, walking around Dublin, it, it's it's two very, very different places now. 
um, in terms of the mood, in terms of the vibe, in terms of optimism, in terms of uh, uh, just the way people seem to feel, seem to think. The UK is in a lot of trouble from a whole host of perspectives, from the numbers, from the vibe, from the whole um, situation that Chancellor finds it, himself in. And Ireland couldn't be more different. The The finance minister gave his budget yesterday from a position of great strength. The Irish economy, through the first half of this year anyway, it's been going gangbusters, growing very, very strongly indeed. Now, it's not going to be immune from the gathering global slowdown. It'll probably be a global recession, um, I yes. think, in uh, the, those those words are being muttered a lot these days. Germany probably is already in recession. The UK actually is probably already in recession. If it isn't, it's going to have one pretty soon. The um, finance minister Donoghue started with a big budget surplus for this year and next, and he's able been able to give some of that away. As you say, it was an eleven billion package. Actually, just to prove, I've, I've read the budget documents. It was. Um, thanks to a raid of 300 oh million euros on the um, something called the COVID contingency fund. I suspect it's money that they haven't had to spend. The giveaway was 11.3 billion. Right. And we should mention, of course, that there are two people involved here. Michael McGrath, who is the Minister for Public Expenditure. He, of course, the Fianna Fáil Minister and Pascal Finnegal. Yeah. Now, you might ask why the Irish economy is in such good shape relative to the British economy. And there are lots of reasons. We could talk about them all day. I won't, I promise. It goes back to um, you know, where, where you've come from over many, many years. But I think the, 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 the short answer I give you, and this doesn't fit well with the zeitgeist in, in Ireland these days, with you know, Sinn Féin waiting to be the next government. Um, Ireland's a very well-run place these days. And yes. the economy is very well-run. Now, yes, of course, there are huge problems, particularly with housing. And also yes. health and others. Yes. But certainly on a relative basis, when you look at the economy that I'm sitting in the UK and indeed many others, and you look at the raw numbers coming out of Ireland, it smacks of a very well-run economy. Of a, you know, And it's deeply unfashionable to say this, but the coalition has done a good job, yes. um, certainly in terms of the outcome. And, and in the UK, policy has been a disaster now since... Since the Brexit referendum, you know, multiple political changes, multiple economic changes, and now we have a, a sect or a cargo cult government, as I call them, yes. pursuing the most radical um, policies. Uh, that a Tory government of all um, stripes—they've never done anything like this before—and so we have carnage and chaos when it comes to economic and political policy in the UK. And you have a lot of stability and a lot of very sound policies in Ireland, and that explains a large part of the difference. Of course, Ireland has the multinationals. It has the big tech pharmaceutical yeah. companies that give Mr. Donoghue the tax revenues that Mr. McGrath can spend. And uh, that is huge. They There are now currently two and a half million people employed in Ireland. Um, yes. When I first lived in Ireland, the population wasn't much bigger than that, actually. So that's, that's a, a statistic that marks the journey you've been on. But of those two and a half million workers, 500,000 of them, plus 10 large international companies, now provide Mr. Donoghue with one third of his tax revenues. Um, that's a big part of the story, Eamon. Let me ask you, I mean, pharmaceutical companies here, major American and international pharmaceutical companies, of course, the tech companies are here as well, and increasingly here because uh, there were announcements uh, as recently as last week about more tech jobs coming to Ireland. Now, 
There was this corporate tax benefit. It's only 12.5% here. It was much more elsewhere. But that advantage, as it were, is is virtually gone now because it's going to be a general 15%, isn't it, corporation tax? Well, there, there, is, there are big moves afoot internationally to yes. try and um, make these companies pay more tax and pay more tax where, the, where they do business rather than in tax havens. Yes. And there, there's a big um, debate, and I'm not going to get into it here, about whether or not Ireland qualifies as a tax haven for some of these companies. I, I don't, the move to harmonize a global tax rate of 15%, I don't think it's either here nor there for, for the Irish tax sake. Right. It might... Um, affect it a little bit, might actually put it up. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. It's more the decisions that those 10 companies in particular, and you and I could probably made them, are going to make with regard to it, their strategic uh, business locations going forward. If, if one of them, if one or more of them changed their domicile for whatever reason, perhaps a law passed by Donald Trump um, in the future, or some other reason that some company or group of companies decided to move back to the States or to a, a tax haven elsewhere that would be serious and the reason that that sort of worry is written all over the budget documents yesterday produced by the two ministers there are all sorts of commentaries about the risks of something like that happening and an attempt to calculate actually what that might mean for uh, taxation revenues this year the government will have a budget surplus even after yesterday's giveaway um, budget surface this of about a billion this year, and the revenues they reckon that are at risk in the sense that they are windfall and could well disappear should any of those companies make strategic decisions to move would turn that one billion surplus into an eight billion deficit. Right. That's that's the sort of thing that they're worried about, and you can see it all through the budget. But the thing that they're worried about, which is these revenues disappearing. There's, there's nothing in the numbers to suggest that it is happening. The, the, the revenue buoyancy means that the, the um, Irish finance minister is drowning in cash at the moment, and that's why he's had this $11.3 billion to give away. Now, the impression one has, Chris, is that you have, in Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath, politicians who are prudent, rational, and really, despite coming from different parties, non-ideological. The impression one has of the British government and this so-called mini-budget, which that's a misnomer, surely. It was a real budget. It was a big, what they call fiscal event, is the phrase they chose to use. They didn't allow it to go to the Office for Budget Scrutiny in the UK, which they would have had to do, I think, if it was a budget. What you appear to have in Britain are fiercely ideological neophytes who really don't know what they're doing. And when Rishi Sunak was running against Liz Truss for the leadership of the Tory party, he warned that if she did the things she was saying she would do in government, exactly what has happened now would happen. He said the pound would dive, the IMF would get involved, Britain may have to go for help to the IMF. And he said that it would be, as Larry Summers described it last night, very ominous for Britain. And that effectively, she didn't know what she was talking about. And that these are the unforced errors, a number of which Larry Summers was talking about. So Britain finds itself in an extraordinary position now, doesn't it? 
Absolutely. The, the, take the Prime Minister. Um, one of the things that we've got, which we haven't had for quite some time, is clarity about what our Prime Minister believes in. With Boris Johnson, there was always a mystery as to where his beliefs lay, indeed, whether or not he actually had any. Um, clearly, we have a, uh, a Prime Minister now that believes in something fervently and has made it crystal clear what she believes in. She believes in free markets, a small state, and low taxes. And she believes that that combination of policies will deliver sunny uplands for the British economy. It has been shown, empirically and theoretically, time after time, when these sorts of policies have been pursued around the world, that they don't work. Yes. And um, they risk they take grave risks with a uh, country's finances, with its, with its inflation rate, with its growth rate, um, and with its public finances. The whole financial kit is, is under threat. And the more usual example I would cite for companies that, uh, countries that try these policies, and actually this is Larry Summers' point, is it's emerging markets that usually do this sort of thing. Um, uh, countries that you know are far away and are often described in pejorative terms when it comes to their economic policies. And um, we have rarely, if ever, seen a major developed economy do this sort of thing. Um, it's often being described at the moment that all she's trying to do is repeat the economic successes of Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. Um, no, she's not. They, they didn't do what she is doing, and they didn't certainly do the bits of it that, that you could say are a bare comparison, in the way that she is doing it. They also did lots of other things. They didn't take such a big risk with, with the economy that she's doing. That, that's the bottom line. Um, what normally happens is, is, as I say, emerging markets. Larry Summers has said, suggested that the UK is precisely behaving like an emerging market. In fact, he suggested the right description is submerging market. Now, it's a little bit technical, but the key indicator, rather than me waffling and asserting it, is the thing that the financial markets look at when there is a policy announcement, two things. What happens to your exchange rate in the immediate aftermath of a big budget? Yes. What happens to your government borrowing costs, so-called yes. government bond yields? Normally, um, we see them do all sorts of strange things, um, but they don't behave very, the bond yield, the government cost of government borrowing, unless there's a crisis on, doesn't move very much, and the exchange rate becomes the key indicator then. So yesterday, um, Irish government borrowing costs were not affected by the budget because the market knew what was going to be in the budget and markets thoroughly approved of the very pragmatic finance and expenditure ministers that you have in Ireland. Um, it took fright on Friday when uh, Quasi Quateng issued his budget, because it was a budget, let's call it what it was, um, and unusually, the sterling collapsed and government borrowing costs went up. That normally doesn't happen. It, if, if it happens at all, it happens in the opposite direction. Yes. And it's that feature of financial markets, government borrowing costs going through the roof, sterling going through the floor, that ha is the classic characteristic of a dodgy emerging market. And these, are, and these things have real, real economic consequences immediately. Um, some, a lot of mortgage products are suddenly not available in the UK. Yes, it's notable that over the last 48 hours, a number of mortgage providers, a large number of mortgage providers, have stopped lending and are worried that the interest rates in Britain are likely to go now to somewhere between 5 and 6%. Therefore, people can't make commitments to 
take mortgages out at all, which is really remarkable. The other thing I want to ask you about, Chris, is is there any implication for our economy from what can only be described as the madness of trust and quasi quatang, or does the fact that they're out of Europe and away from us make us bulletproof? We're not bulletproof, Eamon. Far from it. Right. Um, the the what's happening in the UK has a number of uh, channels through which it, it affects Ireland. First of all, there's the overall channel of financial market linkages. In in financial markets, everything is linked to everything else. So. The earthquake that was felt in UK government borrowing costs, UK interest rate markets, and sterling, that, that, that those earthquakes caused tremors everywhere else around the world. Even the US Treasury market, which yes, is the government I, bond market, was, a, was affected by this. It's been affected by lots of other things. But we, you know, one of the things that happened only yesterday is that U, US, United States government borrowing costs um, for 10 years went over 4% which is ex- extraordinary. And that's um, mostly because of what's happening in the United States, but partly because of the carnage being caused by the UK in a small way. Um, you, you wouldn't say that the U- UK is driving the US Treasury market. But the direct... that's so, so an Ireland, of course, is caught up in all of that. And that means that all of our borrowing costs are going up. We're not going to get borrowing costs in Ireland as much as they are, are going to go up in the United Kingdom, but they are going up. And that's going to be a problem for the housing market. In the UK, for example, um, some analysts are coming out this morning saying that house prices now are going to fall 15% in the UK as a result of these mortgage rates going up. The the, the interesting thing for next year is that it could actually be carnage in the UK property market. And it's worth keeping an eye on this because, again, everything is linked to everything else. And the, the housing market, to an extent, drives the overall economy for obvious reasons. And um, one of the things that, that's very good about housing market in the UK is that people now fix their mortgages for two, three, four, five years. They don't just go on the variable rate, as, as used to be the case. But an awful lot of people fix their mortgages during COVID, and yes. they're all rolling off these two-year fixes next year, just when these perhaps 6 maybe even 7% interest rates are going to be hitting them. So their refinancing costs are going to be enormous and shocking, potentially, if we do get these interest rates. But the the, the cost is everywhere. Um, the uh, National Debt Office for the UK um, issued uh, about five billion of new debt yesterday, and it was actually held over from uh, before the Queen died. She, this was due to be done during the period of mourning. So, like a lot of other things, it got postponed to yesterday. But be, if they'd done it when they originally thought they were going to do it, this debt issuance yesterday, um, it, they would have saved themselves £2.5 billion from a yes. lower interest rate. I mean, these consequences ripple out everywhere. Now, for Ireland, if you'd had sterling going down in the way that it's done over the last few days against the euro, if that had happened you know, back in, you know, in the 90s, say, that would have been a crisis for the Irish economy. Um, and indeed, when sterling did devalue, Back in the early 90s, it was a crisis for the Irish economy because Ireland exports so much to the UK, biggest right. trading partner and all that. That has changed. It's not gone away. But now you don't get the headline, sterling produces crisis for Ireland. It, it doesn't work like that anymore because you know the, the exports to continental Europe have grown in importance so much. Exports to elsewhere outside Europe have grown in importance. The UK is still an important trading partner, 
but is no more. It is no longer the dominant one that it used to be. So it will affect certain sectors. Anybody exporting to the UK is going to suffer a competitiveness loss, thanks to sterling. It's going to be harder to export to the UK from a price perspective. You're going to have to take take it either raise your prices or um, or just take profit margin hit. And that is the agri-food sector in a, in a big way. That's something that that needs to be watched in in Ireland. Um, but the so you, you, you've got a competitive issue via the exchange rate. But with the UK economy going into recession, the marketplace into which you're selling is going to be much t- a much tougher place. It's much right. easy, much easier to sell into a growing market than it is into a shrinking market. So I think exporting to the UK for the next while, for the next year or two, is going to be a, a lot tougher than it has been. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Now, the, the whole question of inflation is linked, clearly, Chris, to energy and food. There's food inflation because of the importance of Ukraine and Russia in terms of supplying the world with grain and other food material. There's no sign, and yesterday we saw again, it looks like the Russians have sabotaged the gas pipelines, and there's no sign at all of this conflict between Russia and Ukraine, what might be called Putin's war, what is called Putin's war, of that coming to an end anytime soon. In fact, it's hard to see how it could end, given the bullishness of Putin on the one hand and Zelensky on the other, and how high the stakes are. So are we looking now at inflation, not as a temporary phenomenon, Transitory was the word used by the 
chair of the Federal Reserve in the United States. That word has disappeared for now. Are we in here for a two, three, four, five-year inflationary period and long-term poverty, uncertainty, and instability rather than the short, sharp shock version that we might have thought we were in for two months ago? Well, one of the key sentences from the Irish budget documents released yesterday was um, an assumption that said that everything contained in these documents, everything contained in the Irish budget is predicated on the assumption that the economic shock which is underway will be short-lived. Right. And um, I think that was a very important statement. Uh, I don't I, I do understand why they why they put it in that way because I don't think anybody is capable of answering the question that you asked: was how long is this war going to last? I don't know. It certainly, as you say, doesn't have any signs of ending soon, sadly. And so the question you then ask about inflation specifically, there are a number of ways to deal with that. First of all, you, you, can you tell me what the gas price is going to be this time next year? I know no. you can't because nobody can. So. Will inflation persist if the gas price continues to go up? Um, it went up first thing this morning by 14%, Eamon, just on the news of those gas pipelines um, being blown up, being sabotaged. Right. Um, and there's no gas in those. Well, there is gas, but it's not actually moving. It's, it's under no. pressure. And so the, there is no gas flowing in those pipelines to Germany or elsewhere. Um, but the mere fact that they've been blown up, which has been taken as a signal that they're not, obviously, um, Putin is not going to be uh, turning them on again any time soon has driven gas prices after they'd fallen for a few weeks they they've gone nuts again now that's one source of inflation but the the thing that the central banks central banks are not cannot control the gas price they have a, they can put interest rates up as much as they like but they will not affect the gas price what they do affect are all the other costs that are domestically generated in their economies particularly wages and they seem hell bent at the moment and i think they are too hell bent that's my personal opinion, but what they are very, and this has been a big change really in the last couple of weeks, they are hell-bent on making sure that there is no domestically generated inflation on top of whatever happens to the gas price, whether it goes up or down. And that means, at the very least, a global slowdown. I think it probably means a global recession. The extent to which we have the recession, whether it's a mild one, deep one, short-lived or prolonged, depends on how well calibrated these central bank rises in interest rates are going to be. Now, they're all behaving like Tarzan and Jane at the moment, thumping their chest, saying, I'm going to be really, really tough on inflation, really, really um, aggressive on interest rates. And I think, as a result, they're being far too macho about it, and they are going to overdo it. I think there's a big, big possibility that we're going to get a big mistake in interest rate policy globally, um, we, that we've already started to get one and that we are going to have a big global recession. And no country, particularly small open economies like Ireland, can be immune from that. I hope I'm wrong. I hope that they can calibrate it to the point where it's just a slowdown rather than a recession, and it doesn't last very long. But I do have my doubts. Let me ask you a final question, Chris, about where the inflation derives from, or what is causing it. Is it simply the energy crisis that arises from Putin's war against Ukraine. Is that the only reason? No, we, 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 we originally had an inflation problem prior to Putin invading Ukraine, and that was caused by the sudden reopening of economies 
once the COVID lockdowns around the world. Yeah, and the pent-up demand that was there. You had all that pent-up demand, and you then had all sorts of supply chain problems. Remember those? Because demand exceeded supply in all sorts of key industries. And everything from the price of wood to the price of silicon chips and everything in between seemed to go up as a result of that. And the reason why central banks at the time said, we're not too worried about this, that it's transitory, is that that sort of thing works its way through the system. And then after a year or so, it all dissipates. The problem was that overlaid on that um, sudden reopening of economies was in the United States in particular, but also elsewhere, but in the United States in particular, they had a massive uh, stimulus, demand stimulus from fiscal policy. Joe Biden, actually preceded by Donald Trump as well, went for it when it came to yes. government spending increases and tax cuts. So you had economic stimulus overlaid on a supply demand supply imbalance as a result of COVID reopenings and that caused a, a bigger problem than anybody realized at the time. Looking back, that was really a problem, much bigger than I realized at the time, for, for example. One person who did get it right, actually, was the person you mentioned at the top of the show, Larry Summers. He was banging a lonely drum at the time, saying, this is going to cause a problem. But then we got Ukraine, which meant that that, that problem was made even worse by the, the cost of energy. And so the central banks now have a real, real problem because they, they, they've got it on all sides, this inflation story. And as I say, they, the, the source of the inflation at the moment is the gas price. If you look at prices other than energy and things directly affected by energy in Europe, for instance, it's not great, but it's not too bad. In the United Kingdom and the United States, all of that energy price inflation has started in a much bigger way than in Europe to leak out into other prices. They, their inflation problem is much more generalized than is continental Europe's. So that's why UK and US interest rates are going up faster than European interest rates. But they're all at it to one extent or another. So it, it's a really complicated story that you have to go back to COVID, that you have to think about whether or not inflation is spreading from oil and gas prices into the wider economy. And in the UK and US in particular, it is. And that's the real problem. And into all of that, you have a neo-fascist-led Italian government elected at the weekend, Chris. A right-wing so, government in Sweden? Yes. And a cargo cult in London? <laughs> yeah. Can you just explain to me and our other listeners what a cargo cult is? I know what a cult is. Yes, it's a uh, cult. But the cargo cult is that they, um, some anthropologists noticed many years ago in some remote Pacific islands that uh, groups of tribes people um, thought that passing, passing cargo ships were passing gods. And okay. A, a religion had grown up around worshipping um, uh, container ships. And it, it's 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 now used pejoratively pejoratively to describe cult like behaviour anywhere it occurs in the world as being somewhat nutty, and the nuttiness that you see coming out of the UK at the moment, I can't tell you how much of it there is. You probably remember uh, a few names like Lord Daniel Hannan um, from yes, the Brexit. He was the great Eurosceptic. He was one of the leaders of it. And of course, you and I have talked about Frosty quite a lot, Lord David uh, Frost. <laughs> He well, appears to have disappeared, but he's oh, no, 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 no. up up in the cabinet sometimes. Well, he's, he's disappeared politically, but he certainly is is trying to occupy the airwaves. Daniel Hannan um, has written, I think it was today, maybe yesterday, 
that um, the reason why the pound collapsed on Friday um, has got nothing to do with uh, Mr. Kwateng or Ms. Truss. It's got everything to do with the markets suddenly on Friday becoming aware that the next prime minister might be a Labour one. Um, yeah, and that looks uh, distinctly possible. Yes, but to, to, to equate that to the calm yeah, of the yeah. financial markets is, <laughs> is absolutely nuts. Now, they're all out today, these nutcases, these cargo cultists, having a go at the IMF, because the IMF has had a go at UK policy. Right. And usually, it's, it's quite unusual for the IMF to talk about um, uh, a country's policies in, in the way that it has done. And Frost, for example... Uh, told the Daily Telegraph, of course, the IMF has consistently advocated highly conventional economic policies. It is following this approach that has produced years of slow growth and weak productivity. I mean, really, you couldn't make this stuff up. They are just, um, not, everything Everything is seen through a Brexit lens. Um, there is nothing, there is no, um, reality is now hitting them over the head, like, you know, like, like a baseball bat. And they're, right. they're denying the baseball bat. It's extraordinary. Okay. Just one question. Conflict seems to be Liz Truss's and indeed her government's game. They're fighting with Europe. They're fighting with the US. They're fighting with us, of course, here. They appear to be fighting with everybody, but they're going to lose this fight on the basis of what they did last Friday, aren't they? Well, certainly if the financial markets continue to punish them in the way that they are, uh, I can't see Liz Trust lasting until the next general election. Amazing though that sounds, that they could yet again change leader. Um, there is no way that I think the Tory party, who used to um, incredibly pride itself on being the party of sound money, that your, the nation's finances are safe in our hands. Can you imagine if a Labour chancellor had introduced a budget like the one that had been done on Friday and had had the financial market reaction that they got? what the Tories would be saying. Um, having lost now, um, in, in, in a way that they, you might remember, they, they lost their reputation for economic competence back in 1992 when Sterling, yes. again, another crisis, got ejected from something called the exchange rate mechanism. This is as bad as that, Eamon, in terms of their lost credibility for policymaking. And they know very well that that loss of credibility led to Tony Blair winning three, helping Tony Blair win three Labour yes, elections. And the end of John Major. Yeah. So um, their recent history um, is there for them to see what happens next if the financial markets continue to react to, to them. If they, if frankly, they have to do a U-turn on these, on at least some of these policies to stabilise the financial market reaction, to stabilise what the Bank of England are going to do, because um, the Bank of England um, putting interest rates up in the way that we currently think they're going to that 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 must be scaring Tories, scaring everybody actually, but scaring Tories politically for what will happen to them. So um, if they don't do some big U-turn, I think there's a good chance, incredibly, that trust won't last. Okay, and we might have Boris back again. Chris Johns, former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland. We're very grateful to you, Chris. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks to all of you who listened. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.